Hello amazing physicians. Welcome to another episode of the Underdog Physician podcast. This is Vidya Kolu and Anish Desai. We are both practicing physicians in the US. As underdogs, the deck always feels like it's stacked against us. No matter what you do, it seems more challenging to reach your goal compared to your peers, and you possibly end up in an even more difficult situation. Our stories and common journey has laid the foundation for the Underdog Physician podcast. Despite our struggles, we got to where we are now with persistence, hard work, and more importantly, by surrounding ourselves with a nurturing community. This podcast is for the underdog pre-medical, medical students, residents, and aspiring physician entrepreneurs who are looking to find a source of inspiration to beat the odds no matter where you are in your journey. We'll be discussing residency and med school application process. navigating medical training effectively personal finance and work life balance we are so glad you are listening to our podcast while commuting exercising doing laundry cooking waiting in line or whatever chore you might be working on welcome everyone to another episode of the underdog physician podcast today we have an awesome guest with us dr kumar who is going to share with us her wisdom about her journey Uh, to encourage more students who have taken non-traditional paths to come into medicine. Dr. Amita Kumar is a Canadian native and is board certified in internal medicine and practices primary care in San Antonio, Texas. Dr. Kumar had experience in both private practice and academics and has most recently achieved her life coach and health coach certification. Dr. Kumar enjoys spending time with family and traveling. She strives for a balance of healthy eating, exercise and fun in her life. Dr. Kumar educates and promotes the same philosophy to her patients and coaching clients as well. So, welcome Dr. Kumar. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, tell us about your underdog story. Well, I'm actually from a very small place, well, relatively small place in Saskatchewan that's north of North Dakota. So, all of you guys that are interested, you can look it up on the map. So, it's Regina, Saskatchewan. That's where I was born and raised. My grandfather was a neurosurgeon. He and my grandmother moved there in 1959. I think left their kids in India, moved to the tundra essentially, didn't really think they were going to stay there forever, then brought their kids there. then i was born and i thought that i was going to stay there forever like it was it was home and mm-hmm. i never ever thought that we were super comfortable why would we ever leave and some at some point my mom decided that she no longer wanted to live in Saskatchewan because it was too cold and so my my father who was in real estate started looking into other places and decided to move to texas or they were planning to move to texas at that time that was like the end of the world for me. I was 16, I was leaving my boyfriend, I was like getting uprooted from my hometown. I'm like, I don't understand. I'm just going to go to University of Regina for 2 years and go to medical school. At that time I didn't even have to do my MCAT to get into medical school. It was just based <laughs> on good grades. Well, I refused to go to Texas. I just said flat out, no way I'm going to Texas. I'm never going to Texas in fact is what I said probably. I now live in Texas. <laughs> in San Antonio, Texas, and I love it and we're really happy we're here. But never say never. Yeah. And then basically I sort of sabotaged my way into not coming to Texas with my family and I went to McGill in Montreal which was amazing but really difficult and much more difficult both socially and academically than I really 
imagined it could could have been. So I had to learn how to grow up. I was just 17. I had to learn how to live with my parents. I had to go to like some cream of the crop school from a small town school. Even though I did great, it's just a different level of people, different caliber. And bombed my first year. In fact, I failed biochemistry and thought I was never going to be a doctor. One of my friends in our second year of college asked me what my plan B was. I think she was studying pharmacology. I was majoring at the time in physiology and like everyone else in the science department wanted to be a doctor. There were 700 kids in our class. So pre-med or science majors, there were 750 biology students, chemistry students, physics, and calculus. All of us wanted to be a doctor. Huge class. Huge class. And like really smart kids, right? Like this is like the best school in Canada. So one of the best schools in Canada. And so it was really super competitive and I didn't, I didn't have the, like, I don't know. I just didn't, I wasn't that person. I wasn't really a super competitive person. I just wanted to do well and be a doctor. That was it. Of course, I didn't really know any different. I literally had no plan B. So when my friend asked me, what's your plan B? I started panicking. I literally thought to myself, if I don't have a plan B, I'm screwed. Like, how am I actually, what am I going to do with my life? Later, now I realize, well, not having a plan B means there's no plan B. I'm just going to do what I have to do and whatever road it takes, windy or backward turning or whatever forks are on the road. It is what it is, right? They're going to eventually. It was, so sorry. we live in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So I was saying that I was just going to choose a path that was going to move me forward, make decisions and keep moving forward, even if they were sideways or whatever. And so eventually I got impatient and one of my friends from high school applied to medical school in Ireland. And I thought that that was like a big cop out, sell out. That means that if I can't cut it in Canada, then forget it. I'm not meant to be a doctor. All the things we tell ourselves mm -hmm. about reasons why I shouldn't go to medical school or I should just leave and give up now and save myself the trouble or whatever. And he was like, Dublin is awesome, dude. You need to come here. And I'm like, really? Okay. So I just applied to that one school because it sounded cool. And you could go basically as a pre-med combo program. So it was based on my high school grades. And again, I felt sort of like I was copping out of Canadian medical schools or whatever. I had no idea what to expect. I didn't even know where Ireland was, but somehow I got in and I really had nothing to lose because I was only in my third year. So I thought, well, if I don't get in, I just start from scratch and keep going like everybody else, right? I'm going to be a doctor someday. Just keep trying to get my GPA up and keep learning and keep going. But I got in. And so I told my parents and they agreed, I guess, to let me go. I don't, I don't know. Now I asked them and they said, we didn't let you do anything. You just decided and we supported you. Huh? And so, and so I went to Ireland, not even knowing where that was or what to expect. And it was the greatest decision of my life. I guess, even though it wasn't entirely a conscious decision or whatever, I met my husband there. Like that changed the entire trajectory of everything that I've done since. This must be called like destiny. You are like, I know. Pad, crazy? Yeah, it's crazy. I just, I don't even believe that much about fate, but the older I get, the more I'm like, how can you not? Every decision you make, even the ones that you think are like the worst decision, the last decision, this decision you made when you were in a corner, literally lead you to where you are today. And my husband, so we were dating in, in medical school for many years. He's American, I'm Indian. And I definitely did not think I was going to end up marrying him, um, mostly because he wanted to be a surgeon. And because my grandfather was a surgeon, I knew what that life entailed. And I thought, I'm not, I don't want to be a part of this life. But somehow he convinced me that we were meant to be and that he wasn't giving up on me. And, you know, I don't know, all the things perseverant surgeons do. And so he was a year ahead of me. He went 
to University of Kentucky for general surgery. And when he matched, I literally had to Google Kentucky. I didn't even know where Kentucky was. I mean, give me a break because I'm from Canada and I never studied American geography and I knew it wasn't the East Coast or the West Coast or the border. So I was like, where are we? Like, where is, Te where is Kentucky? And I thought to myself like, oh my gosh, this is in the middle of nowhere. It's so far from Texas where my parents are. It's so far from Canada where everyone else I know is. Mm -hmm. But I just was like, okay, I guess I'm going to do what I have to do. And I have to go be with this guy that I'm planning to marry and go for it, I guess. Right. You and followed your heart. <laughs> yeah, which seems like totally not me. I do not really follow my heart. I follow my head. But the older I get, the more my heart is right. It's crazy. In fact, the more in tune with your heart you can be, I think that's one of the best pieces of advice I could give somebody that actually listening to your gut, if that's even possible. When I was 20, somebody told me to listen to my gut and I didn't even know what that meant. But now I'm like, that's what I do with everything. Even with my patients, I think to myself, hmm, what is my gut telling me? It was, doesn't sound scientific at all, mm -hmm. but is real life actually. So anyway, so I actually only applied to one place. I applied again, applied to University of Kentucky because I just decided that since we were getting married, I didn't want to do long distance. I wasn't willing to do long distance. And in my interview at, Kentucky, at University of Kentucky, they asked me, what if I don't get into the program? And I said, well, if I don't, if I'm not a resident here, I'll be doing something here. I might be in a tent. I might be a janitor. I might be working in the cafeteria, but I'll be here somewhere because that's where my husband's going to be. So that's what I'm doing. And then... I got pregnant in third year residency because babies come when they want to come. And again, I thought I was going to quit medicine. I, I had no family nearby, but somehow all the other residents had babies and we were all pumping and gestating and <laughs> everybody was doing all the things all the time. And it was, it was great. It was really nice to be supported and, and like everyone else, I guess. I'm not sure I could have done that in New York, but at University of Kentucky, it was the norm. And then my husband went on to do fellowship and I went on to start my first primary care practice with a group of amazing women. And I never thought that I would miss a practice as much as I, you know, missed that one when I first left. Just after three, not even a whole three years, it was an incredible experience. Mm -hmm. I worked full-time, full-time and had a full-time, full-time nanny and had one and a half kids. Or My son was born just at the end of my third, third year there and... Then it was just really hard to have Grant, my, like my kids there and my parents were in Texas and my parents were always in Lexington and we were always in Texas. So we just decided that once my husband graduated from fellowship that we would try to find a job nearer to family. So then we came to Texas and here we are in San Antonio, Texas and I wouldn't change a thing. Wow, this life's in like full circle there. I know, crazy, totally crazy. And did you Amazing. guys do a couple match when you applied? No, okay. he was a year ahead of me. So he oh. came first and then I was still finishing up college or medical school. And then I came after, the year after. I did two months of electives at University of Kentucky in the summer. So because I went to medical school in Ireland, we still had like Christmas break and summer break and there was no like continuous schooling. It was like college because it was a six-year program. And so during the summer break, I did two months at University of Kentucky and tried to build up some network and mm -hmm. meet people and get letters. And, and given that, that you did your medical school in Ireland, so you must be considered a foreign medical, foreign medical graduate. Grad. Correct. Uh, you're born in the U.S., like an U.S. Correct. IMG. So how did you find that challenging, especially with your focus applying only to University of Kentucky and how, what helped you with the process? Right. Yeah, it, it was, it's, it's tricky. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's tricky. You, 
you definitely feel a little less than par but i had a green card so i think maybe it was less of an issue for me i just think that you have to struggle a little bit more because the network is not there but when you don't take no for an answer you just do it because that's just you're not willing to not do it the, the end goal has to happen and you just find another way to do it or you find allies you find other people and you just keep on asking keep on asking keep on asking so whatever whatever you got to do and you just literally let down any pride or ego that you may have and you ask everyone and anyone for any connection that they have and get your foot in the door and do your best and that's it and, so it's and asking for help and oh yeah lots of help <laughs> definitely in fact i think my husband's program director called the internal medicine program director and vouched for me even though he'd never even met me like it was a big deal but you just have to be you i'm not trying to be anybody i'm not i'm just telling you the truth my husband is going to be here and i'm not willing to risk my marriage or my future with him i know that this sounds crazy but i'm not willing to do long distance and whatever works for you guys i hope it works for me too and that first piece of advice that all of us receive when we're 17 years old 18 years old that says be you that's the best thing you can be in your interview i know that's cliche and everybody says it and it sounds silly but It's true because if they don't hire you there's a reason and you don't want to be there. Mhm. Mm yeah, that's so absolutely true and amongst all the things that people focus on when they're applying for residency that kind of get lost and last mm -hmm. in the list but being yourself and you end up trying to convince somebody to take you or like all yes. that. Yes. So, yeah. But when we convince somebody to do something it's not always the right thing, right? Because Sometimes they hire for the wrong reasons and you actually applied for the wrong reasons for whatever prestige or name or whatever. And mm -hmm. we've all done it. But then you don't fit in. So then that doesn't end up being the best scenario. Whereas something crazy like University of Kentucky literally did not know where that was. I had the we had our house, we had two kids, we had a nanny, we had two cars, we lived 3 miles from the hospital. I had no idea that it was going to be that awesome. I wanted to go to New York because that sounds cool and there's like 20 programs but we would have been miserable if mm -hmm. I had had a baby in New York. Yeah. And it's hard raising kid in general and it's even <laughs> harder being in training and raising mm -hmm. a kid. Yeah. And what are the other things that has helped you in your journey especially you having like such a non-traditional path and pursuing what you wanted to do with your career and not getting convinced otherwise okay <laughs> or it's time to kind of give up and you had that thoughts but you kind of pushed through all those so what are some of the things that helped you i think that this happens forever i don't think that i'm immune to it even now so i when we moved to san antonio i went to super duper part time so basically i worked 3 days a week from 8 to 3 in primary care and i never thought that i would stay part time forever but as my kids got older and i actually found some balance especially as my since my husband's a surgeon there's no way i would go back to full time but i used to overcompensate for being part time apologizing mm -hmm. for being part time apologizing for not being in the office tuesdays and thursdays apologizing for not taking call apologizing for not going to the hospital whatever all these things right and just literally recently probably just in the last few months i finally came to some place where i was like actually I do a great job of taking care of my patients because I work part-time. I'm 
I'm just a way better doctor because I have time and I have thoughts and I can think and I'm not just doing the busy work like day in and day out and complaining about the documents and the labs and the messages. And I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying I convinced everyone and myself that I had to be full time to be a great doctor or the doctor that people wanted or needed. Whereas actually I'm exactly where I should be. And my patients are, are actually better off because I'm where I should be. And when I'm happy, they're happy, right? If I'm not overwhelmed, then they get a better doctor and my kids get a better mom and my husband gets a better wife. That is so true. Like most often we are kind of telling ourselves all these stories. Oh, this is what you should be doing. And like, even like people can take a good vacation because they think about, oh, I shouldn't be taking a vacation. Right. Patients wouldn't be missing on whatever is going on and blah, blah, yeah. blah. Wow. Yeah. But really, the more you take care of yourself, the better everyone else is because of it. That is so true. We hear a lot about self-care, but I didn't really actually understand what that meant and it's truly not about the manicures and the pedicure pedicures and the massages and the netflix time or whatever it's not even about that it's more about the thoughts we tell ourselves am i telling myself all these things because this is what i've heard or have been convinced or conditioned to believe because the culture of medicine has has conditioned me to believe it this way for for a reason i mean in the past, that was the way it had to be. We didn't have cell phones and EMRs like VPNs that I'm connected to from home. And I mean, just literally an hour ago, I was connected to my VPN on my computer. Why? For no reason, except that I was getting ready for our Zoom call and I'm like, oh, I got 15 minutes. Let me connect mm -hmm. and do some labs. That's so silly. It's crazy. For what reason? Yeah. But I don't have any problem doing it. That's the difference now. At one time, I used to be like, ugh, my work is sucking me in and I have so many labs to do. Now I'm like, I choose to do it. I have 10 minutes. I'm just going to do some labs today. So I'm going to do them Monday. No big mm -hmm. deal. It doesn't bother me anymore. It's awesome. You made it into a choice from like having other thoughts of which were uh, coming in your way and now to a point where you came into terms with what's mm -hmm. happening and more the wisdom of your learning. So mm -hmm. how actually people, a big part of it, how do people get to that place? Like, mm -hmm. especially for those early in their career and who don't have all that experience of, in what way can they get to that place sooner than having to learn it the hard way? <laughs> yeah. Some of us have to hard, learn it the hard way, but I think that coaching has like literally changed my brain entirely. I started getting coaching last March when I first joined the, Leveraging Growth Summit. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is a whole world out there I've never even known about. And then I got my coaching certification in the last year. So now I'm a life coach slash health coach on top of being a primary care doctor. I, I just take a couple of people. I only have a couple of slots a week at the moment, but I really am passionate about mentoring and the next generation of medicine and the next generation of healthcare, really. The next generation of doctors who are gonna change healthcare. That is truly my passion. And I think that the only way that we're going to get there, because that's the future, that's our children. And that's who's going to take care of us when we get old, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that the fact that we actually can choose is the bottom line. Just literally realizing that I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do anything. I'm choosing to do it. 
Now, I've been sort of a philosophical person forever. I remember even saying that when I was 16, 15 years old, like, I don't have to do anything. I'm choosing to do it. But I didn't really know what it meant at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, when I hear people say, I have to do this, I have to do that. I'm like, well, no, not really. I mean, I, I get why you think you have to, but if you tell yourself that you have to versus I'm choosing to, you don't even have to say I want to. But if you say I choose it to, your feeling is automatically different than I have to. Yeah, and all that pressure is taken away and you get yep. control over what you want to do and not being imposed on what needs mm-hmm. to be done. Wow, that's mm-hmm. a great realization. I use the example of my kids' lunches. <laughs> my kids are 10 and 12 now. I'm not a super creative cook and my kids are not really picky eaters, but they're like, I don't know, particular or whatever. They don't like things that are mushy. They don't like whatever, all those things. Mm -hmm. So I've never liked making lunches. And I just had this thing in my head about like, I have to wake up and make my kids lunches. I have to wake up early to make my kids lunches. I have to wake up 30 minutes earlier on days that I have to work because of blah, 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 right? All these things. And my coach last year was like, well, you don't have to make them lunches. Don't they have lunch at school? I'm like, yeah, but they don't like that lunch. And she's like, so you're choosing to make their lunch. I'm like, yeah, but they won't eat lunch then properly. And she's like, but you're choosing to make their lunch. I'm like, I guess. And she's like, and she goes, well, so you want to make their lunch more than you don't want to make their lunch. And I'm like, okay, fine. And she goes, then make it with love and be calm about it or don't make it at all. And that like is the simplest example, but it literally changed everything about my morning. I'm calm. I'm collected i'm not like screaming my kids about getting eating breakfast and getting their stuff together and getting out the door i literally don't feel like i have to do any of those things i do it because i'm choosing to wow that's a simple point but you can apply that to pretty much every aspect of your life right like you really can and seeing the number of patients or yeah, uh, yeah like yeah. deciding on like full-time part-time right and wow yeah there's literally no such thing as i have to there's consequences to some of the things <laughs> like, I mean, if you decide I don't want to go to work for the next month, okay, fine. I mean, there's consequences, sure, but you don't have to. And Dr. So. with the coaching, so it has helped you immensely from what I'm hearing. And how is mm-hmm. it helpful, especially you working part time and you wearing all this different hats, like your mom to two beautiful kids and you're a surgeon's wife and you're a physician. So how do you set up those boundaries? You <laughs> Difficult, are... difficult to set boundaries, but you just do. I mean, the same way. So one of the big things is, I think I, as a physician, we in medical school, they've, they've told us to do counseling and diet and diet and exercise counseling, right? With our patients. And mm-hmm. nobody really knows what that means. Like we just tell people to exercise or eat better or whatever. So I'll tell you, my patients probably get the most benefit from my coaching because I literally talk to them about this every day. I talk about obesity and preventing heart disease and diabetes and I have to do this and I have to do that and I don't wanna do this. And I'm like, no, but you're just eating your feelings. So instead of eating your feelings and you can actually think about it and decide whether you want to eat that bag of chips or not. Me included, I love chips, they're my favorite. Um, But I feel yucky after eating them. So now I get to choose whether I'm gonna feel yucky or not. And so my patients get the best of that. And then right now, like I said, I would love, I could do coaching every day, all day, all the time. But at the moment, I'm just doing like two clients a week, one on Tuesday afternoons and one on Thursday evenings. I probably could do more, but I'm kind of trying hard to keep a boundary so that I don't 
go all in and have to reel back. So I'm just trying to go slow forward, but I want to help everyone all the time, as often as I can, as much as I can. <laughs> I just have to try to remember that I also have to help my kids and myself and my family. And I think as a doctor, we're selfless and it's easy to be selfless, but I don't want to get so far into it that I have to reel back and feel like I gave too much of myself. And that is beautifully said, like, yeah, as physicians, we are taught to be selfless and it's a kind of struggle to learn to be the other part of it so that we are taking care of ourselves and what needs to be taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we feel guilty for taking uh -huh. care of ourselves. Self-sacrifice is, is the greatest thing that we could ever do, but it's not really beneficial for other people. It's not beneficial for us for sure. And it leads to a lot of resentment that is mm -hmm. not nice or pretty and not deserved. So I'm, I mean, I'm telling you this after many years of marriage and medicine and all those things. So this whole year of coaching has been incredibly eye-opening and mindset changing for me because it's not that my brain doesn't still offer me the thoughts of self-sacrifice and selflessness. That's who I am to the core. But I think about it a little more now instead of jumping into it. Mm -hmm. um, and I do it from a place of confidence and clarity instead of a place of fear. Yeah, and that is an important realization one needs to have with all that clarity and what you're doing. And that helps kind of give that fulfillment one is looking for. And how do you use that when you are mentoring like medical students and residents, like helping with their career in medicine. So how is that helpful for you? And what are some of the things that you help them with? Probably a little bit of mentoring, but also just telling my story. I think that's probably the nicest, help, most helpful thing because everybody assumes that when you've been a doctor for 12 or 15 years and your life is so interesting, right? Like on paper, my life is super interesting. I grew up in Saskatchewan. I went to Montreal. I went to Ireland, mm -hmm. I went to Kentucky. Now I'm in Texas. I have two kids. And my husband wrote a book and I'm coaching and it all sounds so wonderful and lovely and amazing. And you're like, there's a lot of bumps in the road, but actually all the bumps still led here. So it's nice to hear from, cause I don't think I heard a lot of people tell me about the bumps in the road. I think most people tell you how to succeed in all the things, but what you don't hear is that all those successes have failures behind them and it's okay. Those failures to get to the next successful road. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe, and maybe that has necessary to get to be successful. So you learn, of course, yeah, get all the tools that you need to be successful. I guess. Mm -hmm. And we if, say that. Uh -huh. Go ahead. We say that every failure is not actually a failure, but just rather a way that it can't be done or isn't the right way to be done. So you just try a different way. I mean, Thomas Edison figured out 10,000 ways not to create, you know, the bulb, the light bulb. Mm -hmm. And then he found one way. That's all he needed. Just one way. Yeah. And unfortunately, in this age of social media, like <laughs> we are all seeing all the light bulb mm -hmm. moments, but not what's <laughs> behind that. Unless yes. someone is reading books and like real life stories of yes. people. So it's easy to get lost and like, okay, everybody is successful and they're not seeing the struggles, yes. right? So it's important to have that uh, realization that, yeah, there is yeah. a lot of struggle behind whatever successes we are seeing out there. And it's worth it, though. I think it's all worth it. Now, when I look back, 
it's worth it. Every minute of it is worth it. Absolutely. And for the medical students and residents who are applying for various specialties and medicine in general, like it's not uncommon, like people tend to convince themselves, okay, this is not a specialty I'll be applying to, right. not get into. So what is yeah. a piece of advice that you would give to those underdogs, especially with our podcast for the underdogs, might not have great scores and great like resume or something that sure. them yeah. get where they need to. So what is your advice? That was me. If I can do it, you can do it. And I, I know that sounds easy because you or, or simple for me to say because I'm where I am today, but I promise I was right there. Not, I mean, it was 20 years ago now, so that dates me, but I promise I was right there. I'm telling you, I got an F in biochemistry. My parents didn't even know that I got an F in biochemistry. In fact, I told my kids a few weeks ago and my son said, I'm going to tell your mom. Oh, like, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> and but like, it's like one of those things, I promise. I, I didn't know where it was all leading, but I just had some goal in mind and I was attempting to be as true as I could be to myself at 20 years old, that there was something that was telling me I wanted to go to medical school, that there was nothing else that I was going to be able to do. And also that that wasn't the be all end all. Like, even if, let's say that I went into, oh, at one point I wanted to do radiology. I probably would have been miserable. Not, not that I don't appreciate all the radiologists, love you all, but I, that's not my thing. Like my husband hates clinic. He would be a terrible primary care doctor or he would hate, but I love it. I, I would be a terrible surgeon, but I just think that one path leads to the next path leads to the next path. And so it's not the be all end all, even if you choose a specialty or choose a residency that isn't your first choice for whatever reason, you might actually love it, or it might just be the stepping stone to meeting the next person that will lead you to the next specialty. And there is nothing that is the end of the road. You can be an internist and then a dermatologist or a dermatologist and then a neurologist. I mean, you can, you can do anything, especially, I mean, once you're a doctor, you can pretty much do anything you want. So you can go to medical school anywhere. And I'll tell you that my medical training was excellent. We had oral exams. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but we had oral exams and written essays. We had like 5% multiple choice. It was hard. But I'm better off because of it. Like we had old retired surgeons te teaching us anatomy. That's, I mean, if you can, apl that's applicable to the max, you know? Mm -hmm. So I guess my piece of advice is just remember where, why you're there and just make decisions that move you forward because indecision is the worst thing you can do. There is no such thing as right or wrong. Just make a decision of some kind. And where can people find you, Dr. Kumar? Let's see. I think probably my email address, kumar. Let me make sure that's what it is. I mean, it's kumar.md at gmail.com. Let me confirm. There's not another dot in there. Oh, shoot. Yeah, that's what it is. Amitakumar.md at gmail.com. Also, another thing I wanted to talk briefly before we end this interview is you came up with this interesting book for the kids. Can you tell us <laughs> yeah. a bit about that along with sure. your husband? Sure. Yeah. So we have a kid's book called The Adventures of Arya and Krishna Betafish. My husband actually used to tell the kids stories when they were little. So my kids are, again, 10 and 12 now. So he started when they were about two and five, mostly to try to keep them in their room, which was mildly successful. And we had these pet betta fish, as most people do, because they're the hardy fish. And 
so he started these stories about Arya and Krishna. Those are my kids' names. And their adventures and how they started at a pet store and they ended up at a pond and then a river and they met people along the way. And some of the little kids that they meet along the way can understand what they're saying. And they go on all these crazy adventures like the ocean and the desert. And I think they're going to space in the next book. And so I actually wanted to surprise him and put together like a compilation of these stories for his birthday a couple of years ago. And I failed miserably. And so finally I had to get him involved and... I learned a lot. We published this book and we got a publishing coach and we got an illustrator and a graphic designer. And if anyone doesn't know what a graphic designer does, I didn't either. Now I know. It is the person that literally makes everything look beautiful. And like we do KDP printing on Amazon. So this is like print on demand essentially. And we have hardcover and paperback and now he's doing author visits and it's like crazy. I mean, we, it took a whole year, but it was just a dream. And it was really meant to just be a little storybook. I would have been happy just printing one copy for my kids for them to have as a memory. But it's kind of fun. And there's a lot of people out there that apparently love it. We've, we've had lots of kids that are not related to us read it just because kids are brutal and they'll tell you the truth. And they're super looking forward to the next book. And so my husband is started already and he has a meeting with his editor, I think next week already to get things moving because everybody's asking about the second book. So I hope you guys will enjoy it. And uh, if you have any questions about publishing a book or learning about illustrators and I don't know, anything I could help with, I'd be happy to help. Just another random side project that has been super fun and a, and a really beautiful cover thanks to our illustrator and graphic designer. And how cool is that? Like a birthday <laughs> gift idea turning into such an inspiring like book for kids to read and enjoy. That's awesome. Yeah, they seem to really like it. There's some really silly parts and there's some educational parts, of course. And so hopefully the kids learn something. And if nothing else, they learn that they can be a doctor and an author or publisher and they can do it too. You don't uh, have to be one thing. Yeah, and I'm so looking forward to like uh, reading that book to my toddler. Thank you, Dr. Kumar, for being with us today. Thank you. It's been lovely. Thank you for listening to the Underdog Physician Podcast. As you go about your week, no matter how challenging your journey might be, we want you to remember that you're an awesome individual. If you loved listening to this podcast, do subscribe, leave a review in the podcast platform you're listening to us from, and share with others on social media. Please do not forget to tune into our next episode. Until then, Namaste. Namaste.